about this idea of sales as communication, which it is, when you're dancing, you have your steps, but then you have to, as a dancer, take a step back and say, okay, what is it that I want my audience to see? What is it that I want them to feel? And how do I take this choreography that I've been given and communicate that? So there is this level of beyond just pure execution. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Wendy Weiss. Wendy is the president of Salesology and a leading expert on proactive outbound prospecting. And in our conversation, we talk about what, what has changed in sales and, and buying as a result of the pandemic and what that means in terms of the sales strategies that need to be employed to connect with potential buyers. We also dig into how human communication in general has been impacted by the pandemic and what that impact has had on how salespeople need to communicate with their buyers. We also explore the reasons why, since work is blended in so many instances with real life, it's possible to see and be seen more authentically, and as a result, why it's possibly more open and more real with prospects and clients, which enables more real and productive sales conversations. So we're going to get into all of this and much, much more. Before we get to Wendy, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without using the salesy behaviors that buyers really hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. Okay, let's jump into it. Wendy, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me back to the show, Andy. Yeah, third time. Third time, I believe. Yeah. Well, third time's a charm, we hope, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you actually were among my first hundred episodes, your first appearance, like number... 86 or something. So, um, yeah, way back, way back in the beginning. So, um, for people maybe who aren't familiar with you, tell us what you do. Okay. Well, I am a sales trainer, sales coach. I am the founder of Salesology, the Mm -hmm. uh, Salesology prospecting method. Um, Some of you, if you know of me, you may know me as the queen of cold calling. And, that's what um, we've called you in the past. That's here. what I've been in the past, right? Yes. And we have recently launched a new venture, Salesology, uh, which we'll be talking about today. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But you have one of the more interesting backstories for people in sales, which is you started your professional career as a ballet dancer, right? I did. That was my first career. I danced with Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, and then I danced with the Cincinnati Ballet. And um, as you may know, ballet is one of the most difficult and exacting art forms. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I got- yeah, when I first met you, I thought, okay, I knew that you had danced before. I was like, okay, you look like you had been a dancer. <laughs> And I still dance, by the way. Right. Um, all through all through COVID, all I had to do was take virtual ballet classes in my apartment, and so <laughs> you know, gave me well, time to think too. So how how did you sort of get on that path of becoming a ballet dancer? I mean, it's something you obviously started as a child, but I mean, to make that decision, try to do it professionally. I mean, that's. 
First of all, there aren't that many ballet companies these days, right? There are a lot more than there used to be, actually. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But my, the, the story my mother would tell is that when I was a very small child, as soon as I could walk, I would turn on the radio and I would dance. Mm-hmm. But I had no sense of rhythm. And so she enrolled me in ballet class. She did not know what she was getting herself into because I, of course, became completely obsessed. Right. And that's, that's what I did. And um, th- throughout grade school, junior high, high school, I moved, to, I moved to New York City where I still live and work, and I moved here to dance. Um, and How old are you? You moved to New York. Uh, 17. Wow. Study so, at the Joffrey Ballet School. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So where'd you grow up? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. Got and, uh, you know, I got into my current career completely by accident because like many artists in New York City um, or throughout the country, I often needed a day job. In between dance jobs, I needed a day job. And um, I got very tired of waiting on tables. So I uh, got a job. They actually advertised in Backstage, which was the publication we would read for auditions. They advertised in Backstage. It was a a telemarketing agency. Uh, They would hire actors because actors can read scripts and sound Mm -hmm. lifelike. Mm -hmm. And I applied for this job. And I got the job. They taught me this skill set. I was good at it. I thought it was kind of fun. And um, well, what it, were you selling? Well, it would, they were a telemarketing agency, so they had clients, and we would do business development for the clients of the agency. So we mm-hmm. were essentially appointment setting. Right. And well, what what type of products? Oh, all over the map. Okay. And then I eventually started my own business. Uh, where I had clients that I'd represent, and I did business development for them. And again, all over the map. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did business development uh, for uh, IT services, insurance, financial, uh, Hmm. print, graphic design, marketing. I was just all over the place. Um, But I learned the skill set. And then later on, I segued into the business that I have today. We are a sales training and sales coaching consultancy. And um, we work with uh, businesses that are just sick of, sick of the boom and the bust and just like not knowing where the next, uh, where's the next client coming from. Right. Um, and we help them build their pipelines faster, more easily, and more profitably. But you're not doing the appointment setting no, anymore. No, you're teaching training, them how to do it. Training. Yeah. We work with the salespeople. Got it. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> So I just love hearing people's backstories because it's such a different different route in. But I mean, not too dissimilar from Julie Hansen, if you know Julie, who was an actress in New York and got into sales as a, a side gig when she was doing that, selling ads for uh, one of the tabloids. So, and and I do believe, uh, Andy, that everything I know in life and business I learned in ballet class. Oh, well, give give us an example. Because what I learned in ballet class is if you have a performance coming up, you don't just run out on stage and start dancing. Mm -hmm. You have to warm up. 
you have to get set up to do the things that you need to do so that you don't have a career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. Um, salespeople need to warm up. If you manage salespeople, you need to have things in place for them so that they don't inadvertently hurt you and, and your bottom mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. So a warm-up for a salesperson, you're talking about preparation? Preparation. Uh, on identifying, you know, understanding the market, understanding the issues that the challenges that those kind of prospects have, mm-hmm. um, having the uh, correct scripting in place, and I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit, um, but have just having things in place for salespeople so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm. Then, if yeah. you're, if you're a dancer. And you have a concert coming up. I mean, you don't just run out on stage and start dancing. You've been rehearsing. You right. practice. You know, um, Anna Pavlova uh, was one of the great Russian ballerinas of the late 19th and early 20th century. Right. She danced uh, with the Imperial Russian Ballet, Ballet Diaglov. She was the first ballerina to tour the world with her own company. Hmm. She trained for eight years at the Imperial Russian Ballet School before she ever joined the Imperial Russian Ballet. Mm-hmm. And if she hadn't done that, she would never have been able to do any of the things that she did. So she learned her craft. Right. And, you know, there's this very insidious myth about the born salesperson that somehow there are these people <laughs> out there, they're just, they're born knowing what to do. Just people that talk too much, yes. Yeah. And um, just like Anna Pavlova, salespeople need to learn and practice their craft. They need to rehearse. They need to practice, just like we do in ballet class. Yeah, except I think the difference in sales, though, isn't it that that uh, salespeople, you know, practice on customers as opposed to <laughs> in the studio. You know, yes, <laughs> that that is true. Practicing on stage as opposed to practicing in a rehearsal hall. Exactly. I mean, yeah, certainly we do role plays and training and so on, but yeah. I mean, got to get out there and make calls. That's how you learn. That's how you learn, but that's also how you, as a ballet dancer, I mean, we went on stage when we were very young. Yeah. You know, you you have to go out on stage and fall down a couple of times so that you learn what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing, what what most people do, because the last step in this salesology, I call this my salesology model, first you warm up, then you rehearse, mm-hmm. then you perform. And yeah. the problem is most people skip the warm-up and the rehearsal. And they just run out on stage, and it doesn't work. Yeah, well, I think that speaks to sort of a larger issue, which is that you, know, you have to operate with a level of intention in sales. Yes. Right? As you said, as opposed to just running out and doing something is – there's a purpose to what you're doing. There's there's something you're trying to achieve. There's something that's that's driving it, uh, as opposed to just sort of going through the motions. Exactly, and um, you know, in ballet, we get very granular because if you don't do the step exactly right, you can't do the step. I mean, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the same thing here that. You have to have that intention. You need to have that preparation. You need to have this skill set. 
And then that's what enables execution. Yeah. But I think the, the thing that we hadn't talked about with ballet, though, which I, I'm interested in your perspective, because you're, it is performance. Yes. Right? I mean, it's not just executing the steps. You're executing the steps in service of a story. And, and you have to be able to communicate that, I presume, with your body and your expressions, not just you know, the technical execution. Yes. And, and what is it that really differentiates the, uh, the great dancers from the so-so dancers is, yes, we have choreography. There's a series of steps. You need to go out on stage and execute mm-hmm. these steps in the way, in the order it was given to you to execute. You have to do it with other dancers. But what is it that uh, separates those great performers from the so-so performers is that they bring an extra level to it. Um, and, uh, and that is true also in sales. One of the things I've been yeah. thinking about um, when we, we talk about this idea of sales as communication. Mm-hmm. Um, is, which it is. Which, which it is. Um, when you're dancing, you have your steps. But then... You have to, as a dancer, take a step back and say, okay, what is it that I want my audience to see? What is it that I want them to feel? Mm -hmm. And how do I take this choreography that I've been given and communicate that? So so there is this level of of, uh, beyond just pure execution. Yeah, I mean, you can be you can execute well in sales and be cold and never connect with the buyer. And and so when you're speaking with that buyer, what is it you want to communicate? What is it you want them to get from this conversation that you're having? What mm-hmm. do you want them to understand? And so many salespeople. I mean, the a lot of our programs are about business development, new business development, Mm -hmm. and people just like spew out, here's everything we do. (laughs) Right. Pick something. What do you want? Right. You know, and that doesn't work so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, so let's, let's dig in that one a little bit because, um, yeah, it's a story I I love. I just, uh, had, had a conversation recently with, uh, Don Dieter Schmelz, who runs the uh, sales program at Kansas State University, the National Strategic Selling Institute, I think it's called. And, you know, one of the few, or not few now, but one of the first universities offering an undergraduate degree in sales. And she talks about when she teaches her Introduction to Professional Selling course, and people listen to this podcast have heard me say this a couple times recently because I used to talk to Don about this, is they do role plays. And these are people that, that, in the class, kids that have no exposure to sales, for the most part, no background in sales, you know, even family members in it. And when they do their first role plays, what she says is the kids sort of, their first instinct is to be super salesy. This is just what you talked about. You know, just start showing up and throwing up, right? Where does that come from? I, I, I have no idea. It's, um... Well, isn't it fascinating though? It's like, it, it is. Is, it, is it just so embedded in our culture, not just, you know, popular culture, movies, TV shows, whatever, how people form this perception of what salespeople are, that even those who have no background in it default to this, this, this way of acting. 
Well, you know, um, in, in your book, which actually I have right here, everyone, if, oh. you, if you don't have it, go out and get it. Thank you um, for the plug. But I've the, got one, too. The uh, first chapter, I believe, was called something like, What Human Being Does This? Or acts this way. Or yes. acts this way, yes. Yeah. And it really made me laugh because my response to that was like, well, what human being talks this way? Because we get people in our programs and I say, give me your elevator sp- uh, speech. How do you mm-hmm. introduce yourself? And they, oh, well, because of our extensive market knowledge and expertise, we are the world leader in some unintelligible technical term right and and i say to them so is if you were talking to your neighbor and they said what do you do is that what you would say right you know and um it's just it's very very funny um and one of the things we work on in our programs is is how do you succinctly uh create that that value proposition because you do need to have it Mm -hmm. but how do you succinctly in one sentence or two sentences explain the value that you bring to your market Mm -hmm. and you know what is the problem that you solve what is the outcome that you achieve for your clients and it is it is very Difficult to get people to that point of just understanding um, that they need to talk about those outcomes, not all the things that they do. But to do it in a way to sort of build on thread, you had started, is to do it in a way that's uh, natural. Yes. Right? As you'd yes. explain it to a friend. Yeah. Exactly. And this, that's such a hard hard part to get across to people, I think, is, is this idea there has to be this you know, performative aspect to selling, which is sort of inescapable sort of at one level. But, but um, yeah, I mean, I tell people, it's like, they're saying, well, geez, you know, how do I got this first call? I need to connect with this person, and, and how should I do that? And oftentimes I'll say, well, how do you make a friend? Right? I mean, if you meet somebody in a social setting, do you spend, to your point, do you spend uh, 30 seconds? You meet somebody at a you know, back to school night and another parent, and you think, oh, that sounds like an interesting person. Let me spend the next two minutes talking about myself. Yes. Or five minutes. Or, or five minutes, minutes, right? And you, you would never do that. You yeah. wouldn't think about doing yeah. that. Yeah. And, and the so, other piece is listening. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we do, I, you know, we do work with scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're teaching prospecting, which is very predictable, and we do work with scripts. However, scripts, that's just a starting place. It's not right. where, you, where you end up. And I want to give you an example from, uh, this is somebody that's in our program right now. This young man is very talented. Mm-hmm. He is uh, doing business development on behalf of the CEO of the company. Right. And uh, he's setting up appointments. And he's, they're in New York City. And as mm-hmm. you know, Andy, we are notoriously impatient. <laughs> and yet, this young man is able to get people on the phone. They talk to him for five minutes, ten minutes. Uh, they never interrupt him. They engage mm-hmm. 
um, it, it's, it's astounding. It's like telephone magic. The mm-hmm. problem is he doesn't listen to what they're saying. And he has, he has memorized all the scripts. He's a very good student. And mm-hmm. he has memorized all the scripts. And he throws out scripts, except he's not responding to what they are saying to him. Right. And it is, um, it is astounding to me that they engage with him. And they go, oh, no, no, no. And they start to explain themselves. So he has some real talent there. But what he, he needs to do is take a deep breath, and this is what I'm working with him on right now. He has to start listening to what they're saying. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, that is the ultimate goal, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, asking questions without listening to the response is, is sort of pointless after a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that you, that you talk about in conjunction with your new venture is that to that point is sort of there's a way people you think, but you as a result of COVID that people have changed how they communicate. Yes. Um, so what are those changes that you see? Well, there, uh, some of them are very obvious, like we're online, uh, much more doing, you know, doing zoom calls, sure. things like that. That kind of thing. Um, it, but what has really changed, and the thing that uh, with me for COVID, it, it gave me a chance to really think about where we were going. Mm-hmm. And the, the heart of the work that we do, that I've been doing all these years, is really about how do you communicate with another human being um, and uh, move that sales process along. Or not, if it's not appropriate. But mm-hmm. the communication is really the heart of that. And... So, a few things have happened. First of all, I think it is harder because people have been so isolated. Um, I think we're not as nice to each other as we used to be, and I, I do think that's a problem. On an interpersonal level or a societal level? Societal I mean, we know level. Societal yeah, level. Certainly, the discourse we see is, yeah. is uh, rougher than has been. Yeah. Yes. But on the other hand... Um, if you and I know people are going back to their offices now, but we've spent two years talking to people in their living rooms, or maybe mm-hmm. they're in their bedroom, or maybe they're in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're having that conversation with someone that's sitting in their kitchen, how do you go? Well, because of our market expertise and knowledge. You know, it's it's like that just doesn't fly because we're communicating with each other in different circumstances, which are just more human. So being being more form, real. too formal in this environment, yeah, yeah, is problematic. I think. Well, I think we are more real, and salespeople need to recognize that and be more real. So, how? What's that? What's that sound like? Well, that's, I mean, that's the communication piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we do, um, you know, when we're working with clients, and this is something we've been doing for quite a while, but we take them through an analysis of their market and what are the challenges that these types of prospects have that you can help them with and how do they talk about it? Not mm-hmm. how do you talk about it in your industry jargon. And, mm-hmm. for example, we will have uh, people in our program interview clients. 
and ask them questions like, uh, you know, what, what was going on before you started working with us? And how did you feel about that? Mm-hmm. Because that how did you, nobody wants to ask that question. That's, but that's the important question. Because, yeah. You know, but well, nobody I mean, but I, wants to ask it. So I have to browbeat no them. Yeah. Because they're afraid of what people are going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they feel uncomfortable. I think that they feel uncomfortable asking that question. You know, what, what was going on before you came to us, before you started working with us? What was going on? And how did you feel about that situation? And then, you know, you're working with us. This is what, are doing, what we're doing. Uh, what's going on? How do you feel about it now? Mm-hmm. And, and the idea behind these questions is to get clients, people that do business with you, talking about the real problems that they have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the disruption that that problem was causing. Mm-hmm. And then you've been able to come along and fix it. Well, how do they feel now that it's fixed? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, but I think the one of the great things about that form of questioning, and I talk about it in my book as well, is, is that, yes, too often we don't ask how the person is feeling about it. I mean, questions always are phrased from an organizational or you know entity standpoint as opposed to, yeah, but what about you, right? Because you, after all, are the one that's going to be making the decision, or you're one of the key stakeholders in the decision. What yeah, I understand what it means for the organization, but what's it mean for you if you make this change? Or what has it meant for you yeah. having made this change? Yeah. And um, I think those are the kinds of questions we probably should always have been asking. But certainly now, when you're talking to that person that's sitting in their kitchen, um, it's it's just a little bit more comfortable maybe to ask some of those, those questions because they're sitting in their kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's, it brings an interesting point there too, as you know, people sitting in their kitchen is is sort of in the first year of the pandemic. There was a lot of sort of leading with. I mean, you've been crazy if you're talking to a prospect and you had wouldn't have used the fact of the pandemic, pandemic, and the shared experiences we all were having with this kids at home, remote schooling, you know, on and on and on to sort of build a rapport with the buyer. But what I'm sensing from the conversations i'm hearing and so on is that's that's starting to fade away a little bit which i think is unfortunate because we still have these set of shared experiences that we should be talking about how they are impacting people Mm -hmm. absolutely and um and i know from my own personal experience for example i was speaking with a prospect yesterday um he grew up in pittsburgh Mm -hmm. well i grew up in pittsburgh so you know I brought that up. That's a shared experience. But we weren't talking about the impact of COVID because that's just like um, a lot of people aren't thinking about it. And yet it is still so all pervasive. Yeah. Well, it's part of the reason perhaps you knew or that, that issue of the shared connection came up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does strike me as I think about it here is, is – is yeah, as we start sort of hopefully, knock on wood, transitioning out of the pandemic into whatever is next. Um, 
yeah, how we how we how we deal with that in conversations or what what's next in terms of okay, well, if hybrid becomes sort of the standard, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about this as I talk about this. Yeah, how's that affect? Yeah, how we how we connect and and interact with folks. Yeah, and one of one of the I hesitate to say something good has come out of COVID, but I'm going to say it. You know, we it gives us the opportunity to connect more because it's easy. Here's a Zoom link. You click on it. We're talking. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you you know if you're a salesperson and you have a large territory, well, maybe you don't get to that part of the state except once a quarter. Right. So this enables you to communicate with those, those prospects much more frequently, build that relationship uh, tighter over time. So, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, the, the hybrid thing, um, some people still do not... I have a lot of clients that want to go back to getting in their car and going to see people. The challenge is, do their prospects want them to do that? Some of them do, some of them may, still may not. Yeah, I mean, just, again, anecdotally, based on talking to people on this show and, and other work I do is, yeah, it seems like the balance actually, based on people I've been talking to recently, it seems like clients are almost more anxious to have people back than the sellers are ready to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um this uh, the very talented young man that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, the CEO does not want to go see people. He's setting up Zoom meetings. You know. Yeah, and I think it's going to create this the scenario where those who are willing to to travel to see mm-hmm. the clients, because again, just anecdotally based on conversations I'm having, we're at a point now where clients are more anxious to, to have people start coming back than perhaps sellers are anxious to go because they've gotten accustomed to not not having to do it. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to end up being at a disadvantage if you don't go. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Right? Just as in the hybrid work arrangement, I think, unfortunately, it's just a human nature. I think that those employees who you know, say, hey, I, I don't want to come back to the office full time, uh, we're going to be at a disadvantage to those that do go back full time. Yeah. And then there's the whole, do I wear a mask? Do I don't wear a mask? Vaccinated, yeah. not vaccinated. There's like, there's so much stuff. <sighs> there's so much stuff. Yeah. yeah. That, at that point, you just have to go with the rules of the, the game with the people where you're going. That you're yeah. going to. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. so those are I mean, questions you need to ask as well. Um, but I do think, you know, and as you, you talk about in your book, the way we communicate is different. And I think it just gives us an opportunity to communicate on a more human level mm-hmm. than oh, the pitchy, salesy thing that a lot of people were doing before. Yeah, I wish I could say that it's <laughs> it's decreased as a result of that. I'm not sure it has. But you would hope it have, right? Because we are, to some degree, is is talking to people on a much more personal level, more frequently. I think, uh, given the medium of uh, virtual, you know, like Zoom or whatever, you would think that would mitigate some of it. But it doesn't appear to have yet. Um, I think there's the curve is slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it. Uh, I. I 
do not think that that pitchy, salesy thing ever worked in prospecting. No. But people today are even, uh, as said before, a societal thing. Uh, we're not as pleasant to each other as maybe we were a number of years ago. And so when you're prospecting and you're doing that pitchy sales thing, salesy thing, it is so easy for people to go click. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to connect it to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's sort of interesting to see what's sort of happening just societally because I don't know about you, but I mean, I receive significantly fewer telemarketing calls than I, I did in the past because maybe because I haven't blocked or, or <laughs> you know, it's not like we're growing up and sitting around the family dinner table and the phone would ring off the hook. Um, I just wonder maybe if people are now, because there's maybe less of that, people are increasingly on a business level more sensitive when they do encounter the real salesy, pitchy behaviors. That could very well be. Our market, I mean, we, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're, because you said sitting around the, the dinner table, uh, our market, we work with people that are B2B primarily. So you're always yeah, calling. Yeah. About, since we're getting less of that on sort of a B2C level at home. Right. That now when you see it and encounter it in a B2B level, it becomes more jarring, yeah. perhaps to some degree. Yeah. And you need um, – I mean, I've always believed that if everybody that you talk to says, I'm not interested and hangs up on you, that means you're not saying anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, again, going back to how do you introduce yourself? How do you quickly make that human, human being to human being connection? Right. Um, and that's a skill. That's that's a skill set. It's not intuitive. Yeah, you get through practice, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, yeah, I think of myself, yeah, slightly reserved, a little introverted. Yeah, when I was stage of my career, I was making a ton of cold calls. Yeah, you find your own way. Yeah. To do that. Yeah, and uh, and I am also. An introvert. I am very shy, and um, ballet dancers, we don't talk. <laughs> we dance, but we don't talk. Oh. So um, it. Uh, but the part of the magic of sales for me is making that connection. It is a skill set, so you can learn it. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and. Uh, as you once you learn your craft and you practice your craft, it gets easier and easier, and you start having more and more success. Right. Well, so that brings up a question: Is is you know you've undoubtedly read all the data about you know such a declining percentage of sellers achieving their quota, and especially true in in um, from a report from Bravado recently at the beginning of the year about. Um, Gosh, small percentage of SDR teams that are hitting their numbers, which you know, are doing the proactive outbound. Um, to your point, I just I wonder whether we set people up for failure in those environments, and what in your mind we could change to help people be more comfortable learning their craft and achieving more consistent success. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question because that's really what it's about. And to me, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is the warm up. Mm-hmm. 
that there are um, things that need to be in place. You know, what I, what I see a lot is uh, companies that they hire new salespeople and then they say, we're going to see how they do. And, you know, they teach them every last thing about whatever it is they're selling, mm-hmm. but they don't teach them how to prospect, how to talk to their prospects. They don't, they don't teach them any of that. They say, mm-hmm. because Maybe because they believe that myth, right. the born salesperson. So they teach them all about whatever it is, and then they say, go build a pipeline, go find mm-hmm. some clients. And they don't know how to do that. Right, and then they say, "Well, I don't, I don't want to invest in them if uh, you know if they're not going to work out." Right, and you really need to flip that because um, don't teach them everything about what they're selling. Teach them to build a pipeline. They can. Uh, this is one of the things that we do with our with our clients. We teach new hires to set up qualified appointments. For somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you can do that in a matter of months. Right. You either know that they're going to be productive because they can set up appointments, or you know that they're not going to do it and you don't need to keep them around for three years. There's a study I read recently that said 83% of newly hired salespeople are gone in three years. They either quit or you've had to let them go because they're not producing. That is expensive. Yeah, very. That, uh, well, but to your point is, and your level of your experience and with your clients and so on is, yeah, because very typical, you know, sometimes startup companies, they've got onboarding programs. Yeah, maybe they go six weeks, you know, sort of seems to be sort of standard for a lot of them. Is that really enough time? Six to 12 weeks to teach somebody that knows nothing. Mm-hmm. about appointment setting, how to set an appointment is more than enough time. Okay. If right. there is a system in place. Sure. But most of the companies don't have a system in place. They say, go prospect. Yeah. But if you have a system and, you know, you you know what the target is, so you can very clearly tell that brand new salesperson – this is the target. This is the process that you follow. Mm-hmm. If A happens, then you do B. If C happens, you do D. Mm-hmm. And then you have some basic scripting in place so they know how to introduce themselves. Right. Um, so they know what to say when the prospect says we're working with someone because all prospects say we're working with someone. Um, but the way you talk about scripting, it's really – and I, I agree. It's To me, it's it's – once you've had any sort of number of repetitions on that, you're going to be tailoring it to what you do and what you see and the success you've had. And uh, it'll become less rote and more personal, hopefully. Yeah. Well, you um, having, a, having someone that is brand new is very different from ha- than someone that's experienced. Sure. So somebody that's brand new... Can read a, you can teach them to read a script and sound very lifelike and conversational. It is entirely yeah. possible. And that's all they have to do initially. Yeah. Over time, well, as they get better, 
Yeah, there's a, another level of the skill set. They really need to be listening in. The, the very talented uh, young salesperson I was telling you about earlier, you know, he started at zero. He knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Now he's setting up appointments for the CEO. He, mm-hmm. he now needs to take it to the next level. He needs to start listening. He right. starts to, he needs to start making it more his own. But initially, all he needed to do was, here's how you introduce yourself. Here's the value proposition. Here's how you ask for the appointment. And if they say any of these, you know, prospects say, I'm working with someone. I'm busy. Send me information. I'm not interested. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. He just needed to know how to respond when they said those right. things. Um, once, and we got him doing that in two months. Yeah. Now he's yeah, got I mean, to do it better. If he does it better, what would the outcome be? Because you said he's setting appointments. So he is. setting he's more gonna, appointments? He's going to set up more appointments. Okay. And they're going to be better quality appointments. One mm-hmm. of the reason I said he really needs to start listening, he I was listening to a recording of a call he made last week. And uh, the prospect said, I don't handle that. I'm not the right person. Raj kept talking to him. Raj, instead of just saying, oh, who should I talk to? Who should I speak to? Yeah. You know. Raj kept trying to make an appointment with this person. Right. Who ultimately declined, but he stayed on the phone with Raj for another five minutes. Hmm. The, this, this young man is very talented. Yeah. Um, however, he would have been better off just saying, who, you know, oh, you're not the right person. Who should I speak with? Right. What's their phone number? What's their email address? Um, so he's the next level for him because if he had made that appointment, it would not have been appropriate. So, so let me ask. And this is, so you're coaching this young man. Mm-hmm. So, and he's working directly for the CEO as they work for yeah. a sales manager. Uh, he's directly for the CEO. Okay. So is the CEO coaching him at all? Uh, the CEO has handed that off to me. Okay. We we micromanage the salespeople so the CEO doesn't have to. Okay. Or so All the right. sales manager doesn't have to. Got it. What's well, life of Riley for the sales manager? He can outsource sales management? What's he doing? What's his job? Well, he or she has other things. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Just in case they're listening. Um, all right. Well, Wendy. So tell us again a little bit more about Salesology, your new new venture you've kicked off, or basically sort of rebrand what you're doing. But what are the types of services you're offering? Yeah, so Salesology, as I said earlier, COVID really gave me a lot of time to think um, mm-hmm. about how we communicate with each other, and we have been known for many years specifically for cold calling. Right, and the truth is that. We've been offering a lot of other programs and services, uh, but the, what we're known for is the cold calling piece. So on a very practical level, this gives us an opportunity to have a larger conversation mm-hmm. uh, with clients. Um, the programs that we offer are about right now are about business development, all the right. different ways, not just cold calling, but all the different ways that a business can develop new business mm-hmm. faster and more easily and more profitably. So we teach a very step-by-step system uh, that includes all the medium to be able to do this. 
And um, stay tuned because we will be launching some new programs on other aspects of sales, other resources. Um, and the focus is really how, how do you communicate that value? Mm-hmm. How do you communicate with another human being so that they get it, so they understand not just what you do, but how you might be able to help them and the connection to, to their business and their life. Right. And how do you make that clear in a right. prospecting conversation, in a sales conversation, uh, in, in all the various permutations? So that is, that is Salesology. Our website is gosalesology.com. Mm-hmm. And um, we do have a, a gift for our audience, uh, which is brand new, mm-hmm. and that is uh, 81 Tools to Grow Sales and Your Business Faster, More Easily, and More Profitably. And you're going to post that link, I believe, with this uh, interview, yeah. Andy. Yes. Right. So Yeah, or they can find there, it on GoSalesology. GoSalesology.com. GoSalesology. Perfect. All yeah. right. Well, Wendy, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Always good to talk to you. And um, yeah, maybe we'll see you around in New York at some point. That would be lovely. Yeah, it's been a while. So um, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Wendy Weiss, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.